You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, after mostly taking all of last week off, the Co-Main Event Podcast is back on its business this week. Yeah, how'd your spring break woo turn out? It was okay. Yeah? You know, it turned out to be kind of a long trip for... uh, A lot of time in the car? Not a ton of time in the car. You know, a couple hours here, a couple hours there. But at the same time, like, sometimes I don't realize, like, how little our kids are and how hard it is for them to be on the road for a few days until after we've done it. Because I would say the last sort of, like, day and a half, it was just, like, being around two tiny psychopaths. Okay. Who are, like... Pretty cracked out the last couple of days. Not getting enough sleep, eating restaurant food, and you know having having too many treats. A lot of treats. Last couple of days, pretty uh, pretty off the chain for those guys. So like a normal spring break experience, I guess. Yeah. Well, and maybe one that'll make them glad to go back to school. And we mostly managed to take much of the week off, even though we had to. Come and do a special retort, one of the CME's special retorts. Yeah, that's last for, Tuesday. That's for the patrons only on the whole Conor McGregor situation, which I'm sure we'll get into more here today. I'm mostly, though, I'm pretty proud of ourselves for being able to just unplug and walk away from this here podcast for at least several consecutive days. You mean you're surprised that you weren't calling me up on Thursday, Jonesin, being like, man, we got to get back to it. Just like calling you up like like in the middle of the night and be like, hey, man, you want to talk about John Jones? Picking scabs off your forearms and whatnot. <laughs> well, Ben, as we sit here today to record the Co-Main Event Podcast, it is April Fool's Day. And just like every year, we're reminded that the MMA world loves it some April Fool's Day. Yes, and yet can't ever seem to do it that well. Yeah. I think a lot I mean, of are people, you surprised by that? You can't be that surprised by that. I'm surprised that it's always the same jokes every year. Every year, somebody gets like the bright idea to be like, I'm retiring, or I'm coming out of retirement, or I've booked a big fight, or I'm pulling out of this big fight, or I'm like doing a crazy, wild career change. And those are like the only jokes. Well, no one can think of any new ones. You're talking about a subculture here where most of the Halloween costumes are are just somebody with their shirt off. Right? <laughs> okay. Like that's... some Halloween costume that also plays into the idea that you're in really great shape. So with that in mind, you can't be that surprised that April Fool's Day is a little rote, a little by the book, let's say. I think that in general with April Fool's Day, the problem is people overestimate how much others enjoy being lied to. Because they don't really understand the difference between a joke and just lying. Right. Like, I'm just going to tell you a lie. And then, when I get you to believe it, I will laugh in your stupid fucking face. And I will say, April Fool's. And then I will be somehow mystified that you're not enjoying this experience more than you are. We were talking about before we went on the air, though, and you brought up a good point. Those April Fool's Day retirement announcements can go wrong. Yeah. Those can go wrong. Those can backfire on you because you are like, hey, everybody, I've made the difficult decision to retire from MMA. And you think everybody's going to be like, no, don't go. And then there's going to be somebody being like, hey, man, it was time. It was past time. You had a good run. Finally, man. We've been talking about this for a while. (laughs) Yeah. 
well, we wish you best of luck in your your new endeavors. And you're like, uh, April Fools, I'm still out here. Yeah. That's when the April Fool's Day retirement announcement turns into a real retirement announcement. Yeah, then you have to take stock. Do you think when Conor McGregor announced his retirement a week or week or so ago that he was like, well, I got to do it now because next week is April Fool's? Like, I got to get this out of the bag now? I think that there may have been some calculations in the timing of that retirement announcement, but I don't think April Fool's was among them. No one's going to believe this if I don't put it out this week? I don't think that's what he was going for. I mean, <laughs> or... or the flip side of that is considering that afterwards he sat around going, well, this went perfectly. <laughs> Everyone bought it. We got music this week from our friend, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at Twitter at The Fifth Element, Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element, or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. And as you guys all know by now, that's the word the with an A. The. You know that. Everybody the knows fifth that. element. Everybody knows that by now. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, look, Justin Gaethje understands exactly what his job is. He knows why you like him and what you want him to do and what he gets paid for. For an absolute lunatic, he's incredibly self-aware that way. And in round number two, have you heard about this one FC? They got a few fighters you know fighting a bunch of fighters you don't know from far-flung locations, and the only place you can watch it is on the internet. In those ways, it's almost exactly the same as the UFC. One way it's different? This shit is free. What? And round number three, at the Notorious MMA. You okay, bro? Hashtag second internet retirement. Hashtag full-time whiskey salesman. Hashtag still aggressively online. Hashtag under investigation. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Aaron Dane. The Great Dane. The Great Dane. The greatest Dane of all. He writes, worst part of hashtag spring break woo was my daughter got some vomit on her Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt. The maroon color was able to hide it a little, but I may need to get a replacement. Good thing they are always available over at CottonBureau.com. I like how this is not a question at all. It's just plugging the Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes brand. Originally, I was like, we can use this question as an entree to discuss our own spring breaks a little bit. We talked about spring break a little bit at the top of the show, so I guess you're right. It's just a product placement for Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes. I'm wearing the Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt right now. You know what, though? You know when I felt like the like I hit the most dad levels I've ever hit is when I used my spring break to repair a leaky outdoor faucet, which is what I was doing when you were like, hey, we got to talk about this Conor McGregor thing. Yeah. Uh, and I had to quickly get the water, you know, finish up my repairs and get the water turned back on. But then also... I swept out the garage, swept off the driveway nice. now that all the snow has melted, made my kids help, and I was like, I honestly considered that a good time. I was honestly like, this is a good use of my vacation time. I am enjoying myself right now. Holy shit, what has become of me? I have completely morphed into dad mode. Yeah, I dadded out pretty much the whole time. I didn't literally threatened to turn the car around at any point, <laughs> but there was a bunch of situations where I was like, if you guys can't lie down and go to bed. We're not swimming tomorrow. Just making empty threats. Yeah, because, I mean, the swimming was what you were planning on to fill a big portion of the day. Exactly. Like, yeah. if those kids aren't in that pool, they're in the room, and I'm clawing, clawing my eyes out. Yeah. Right? So, like, they haven't figured that out yet, though. <laughs> they, Thankfully. They, they, they still fear the tyrant Chad Dundas. Yeah. It's, I, I'm always, like, 
reminded and awed when it comes to a situation where I'm like, oh shit, they're like kind of scared of me when I say shit like this. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't understand how to the degree to which I'm just like fucking faking this shit. <laughs> like they, they think that I'm like terrifying dad guy. Oh, may they not figure it out for several more years. Hey, have we mentioned we got cowboy astronaut cigarettes and Dundasso t-shirts available on demand all the time whenever you want them over at cottonbureau.com? Just go over to cottonbureau.com and pick up some CME merchandise today. Cottonbureau.com. Next question as we comes from us comes to us from Izzy Mean. Okay. Who writes uh, what uh what eighties hairband was Izzy Mean in? I think he was the drummer for uh Winger. Okay. That sounds right. I'm just gonna take Striper. Your word on that. He's the bass player for Striper. Okay. Is he mean? In the past week, we all heard Mystic Mac talk about how he was ready and willing to fight soon, only to abruptly end his career by retirement. Today, Johnny J teases us by giving us an, uh, a date with Stipe Miocic, only to have the fight a fight booked with Tiago Santos announced hours later. Why is this indecisiveness and or trickery happening so much? I can't imagine this type of contradiction happening in any other sports. Uh, what do you think is behind all of this uh indefinite fight plans. So the John Jones thing is we do have to mention that because he yeah. floated it out there. Yeah. Like just like he was bringing us a birthday cake. Yes. Like he's yeah. carrying a birthday cake into the room and on the cake, it says I'm fighting Steve Amy Ocic July 6th during international fight, fight week. Yeah. Happy fucking birthday MMA fans. And the response was almost unanimously. Fuck. Yeah. Hell yeah, we'll watch that shit. We'll watch you and Stipe. Stipe was into it. He responded right away. Everybody wants to get something on the books. Yeah, everybody was like, yes, would watch this. Absolutely, let's do it. Business is about to pick up. And then right after that, you hear John Jones versus Tiago Mejeta Santos. And if you hadn't done that first, I'd have been like, okay, this this makes sense. This was a natural progression. John Jones wants to defend that belt a whole bunch. Said he wasn't going to go up to heavyweight unless the UFC gave him a bunch of money. So it makes sense. And we're just going to keep doing this the year of the title defense for John Jones, which fine, I can get behind. I don't think that uh, Santos has that great a chance to beat him. Just like I didn't think Anthony Smith had a great chance to beat him, but I can still get behind John Jones, you know, putting his nose to the grindstone and getting to work as a defending champion. If you hadn't teased me with something so much fun and that sounded so awesome right before that. it You're right. It transformed your reaction to Jones versus Santos from I'll allow it yes. to what the fuck, so, man, uh, come uh, on. Like you almost in Johnny Hendrix all man voice. It was like a gender reveal cake. It said Steve Amiocic <laughs> on the outside and then when you cut into it, Tiago Santos. <laughs> Turns out you're having a Tiago Santos. Oh, not another one. What is John Jones doing here, though? Was he just fucking with us? Because that's mean-spirited, man. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, all... Th- or maybe he didn't know? Like, is it is it legitimate to think maybe he didn't know the Santos thing was going down? If there was more of a lag in time between when he tweets out this thing about Stipe and when the announcement that he's going to fight Tiago Santos... I would have said it was just pure negotiating ploy. Like he's going to show the UFC, look how into this idea people are. Therefore, remember that thing I keep saying about how you need to pay me a certain amount of money to get me to go up to heavyweight. This shows you that it's going to be worth it. Yeah. Like pay me the money because look how into this idea people are. Like people really want to see it. But since it happened so soon right after that, I don't know if it was just like he had to have known that the Tiago Santos news is forthcoming. Is it just a thing to show the UFC like, Look, this market is out there. We're not going to do it this time, but I'm showing you that here's what people will really pay for is me at heavyweight, and it's going to be worth your while, and you need to kind of 
you need to be thinking about that for the future. Yeah. Well, I'm not totally sure that's what John Jones was doing, but it's also not a crazy idea, especially in the wake of Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, where at least the official story of how that fight came together was that they were all just kind of fucking around until they started to realize the huge traffic that all of the, like every time Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather would kind of swipe at each other on Twitter, their social media analytics would, would spike up huge. And, uh, you know, McGregor's team is, is super into all of those metrics and tracking all of that, like digital media stuff. And apparently, or allegedly, uh, that was one of the things where they were like kind of able to go to the UFC and go to Showtime and go to Floyd Mayweather and be like, Hey, look at this. Like, this is, I know that we're just like having a crack here, but like, uh, the truth is maybe this is a viable thing. Well, okay. And I guess it's again, though, it's the timing that I return to on this that right. makes me think like, okay, he, he knew what was about to happen and he must have known that even if you're trying to show the UFC, people are into this, that there's also going to be the flip side of people being like, Oh man, like I'm not that into this fight now because you teased me with something right, it's else. Like kind first. of a bummer for Tiago Santos, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Well, and then the UFC is kind of notorious for floating people a bunch of different fight offers or tenders. Right, but this all is a title once. fight. Like yeah. this is not like some like number six lightweight where you come to him and you're like, okay, we got these three guys that we think that you could fight next, and you're kind of trying to take your pick or you're trying to negotiate for one or the other. Like a, a John Jones title fight must have been something where the wheels have to be in motion for a while before you're comfortable making announcements. Then again, the UFC is known again, not really in title fight situations, but in a lot of other situations to announce some shit before they really have it solidly booked. And there've been situations where fighters are like, Oh, wait a minute. I haven't totally agreed to that yet. Like you're leaking this news out there. Like you're, you're telling people about it. And yet, uh, from my understanding, we are not totally solidified on that. And you know, you're trying to pressure the person basically yeah. into going ahead and agreeing to it. So uh, it's the, the fact of it being a title fight changes a lot of those calculations. It does though. I, I got to think that everybody involved, the UFC, John Jones, Stipe kind of saw the reaction to that and were like, okay, this is, this is a thing. This yeah. could be a thing. Yeah. And it's what we recommended on this show for Stipe yes. Miocic, frankly, yeah. that that's kind of the kind of power move he needs to do right now, since it feels like the heavyweight division is leaving him behind a little bit. Here's my thing though. Do you really need to do like a product test for John Jones versus Stipe Miocic? Like, that's basically like a chocolate chip cookie, man. Like, oh, hey, it turns out everybody fucking loves chocolate chip cookies. Like, of course <laughs> everyone loves John Jones versus Steve A. Miocic. Like, don't tease us with it. Right. Just well, tell us that it's happening for real. It, it makes sense if you view it in the context of he's trying to convince the UFC this is one of those really nice chocolate chip cookies. This is like, this is not a chocolate chip cookie that you get for 99 cents at the grocery store. This is one of those like specialty chocolate chip cookies from like a weird store that only sells cookies and it's $6 somehow. And it's worth the $6 and this is me, this is my way of convincing you in order to, to get you to open up the wallet and pay the money for that damn chocolate chip cookie. Well, now this Tiago Santos fight feels like just something we got to get through. It does to like to like give us the actual piece of the cake that you brought in to wish us a happy birthday to beginning. Next question: This week comes to us from Curtis Bouchard. He writes, "Please power rank your excitement level for these recently announced matchups. Some official, some not." So he's got Jones versus Santos on here, okay. which we just admitted is going to be hurt a little bit by the raised expectations of Jones versus Miocic, uh, Nunes versus Holm, 
Junior Dos Santos versus Francis Ngannou and Jorge Masvidal versus Ben Askren. I'm going to have to say number one is Junior Dos Santos versus yep. Francis Ngannou because that's the one we've been standing yeah. for, carrying the torch for, making signs for, just willing into existence on this show the past few weeks. It's also a bit of super obvious matchmaking, right. so I'm not surprised they actually made the damn but thing. It's, it's a heavyweight banger. It's still it number is. one. My number two here is Masvidal versus Askren. Okay. All right. You know what? Yeah. All right. All right. That's, that's not bad. I think my number two, though, actually might be uh, Holmes versus Nunes. Like, I think that one... I, I think... Amanda Nunes is at a point right now where it's hard to find like something that feels like a harder challenge. Like after you knock out, you know, you knocked out Ronda Rousey, you, you knocked out Misha Tate, or you choked out Misha Tate right after hurting her with punches, uh, and then you knocked out Cyborg. Holly Holm was the one when we were talking about her where like we accidentally just threw Holly Holm in there. It seems like they've already. Yeah, fought. It seems like she's already beat Holly Holm, and now this is like it's like the last kind of. The, the last thing she needs to hit on the checklist in order to be considered, I guess, the greatest women's fighter of all time. Yeah, and we're doing this one down at bantamweight, despite the fact that both Holmes and Nunes have fought at, at featherweight before. So I guess maybe a nod that you were going to go ahead and take the featherweight title and like put it in mothballs for just a little while. I mean, it's not like you're really holding up a division that exists when you do that. So then I would say my number three is Masvidal versus Askren. Fair enough. And then last on this list is Jones versus Santos. Yeah. Would it be higher if we had not just gotten teased? Would it? Would yeah, it- I think so. I think it would be higher. Again, though, this one... It feels like a similar situation to remember when John Jones was going to fight Anthony Rumble Johnson, and it was like, okay, well, here's a guy where all the the matchup criteria say John Jones should run through this guy, except for one thing, which is punching power. Right, like a guy who can hit hard always has a chance. If he lands that one good punch on you, I and mean, John John Jones is not known for being a guy who's super easy to hit, right. but yay, maybe you land one punch and who knows. And Santos brings some of that, not quite the the magical allure of a one punch uh, knockout artist like Rumble Johnson was, but still like that's kind of his thing is that he can land that one big shot and he can hurt you. And that's going to be the thing that they build around this fight. It's like, Oh, John has John Jones ever faced a puncher like this. Yeah. But yeah, it's still, it's going to be hard to convince me that this is anything but like another fight where John Jones shows up as a nine to one favorite and cruises. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I do think though, and maybe this is just John Jones's dominance talking, but it seems to me like if John Jones is going to lose a fight, it's going to be because he gets caught by one knockout punch at some point, because it's hard to imagine anyone at two Oh five coming out there and tooling John Jones, in like a competition of skills. Yeah. Right. Like if he's going to lose, it's not going to be someone who shows up and it's just like, Oh, this turns out this guy is better at MMA than John Jones over the course of five rounds. Interesting. It's going to be, Oh, well, John Jones like got punched in the face super hard and got knocked out. Uh, Are we meant to think that this is the main event of the July 6th international fight week card? Cause that's kind of, I understand like John Jones, obviously a big draw, uh, Tiago Santos has a giant hammer tattooed on his chest, so maybe maybe he's marketable. Uh, but I was expecting something bigger. I was expecting something more like Jones versus Miocic. Not to keep bringing it back to that, but like this feels like a weird or halfway low key main event for like the midsummer UFC classic. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's one you can get away with if you take a big picture approach and put a whole bunch of fighter, like a whole bunch of good matchups that we want to see. So you got three or four of them on there. And I mean, 
you'd hope by now that the UFC knows if you want a guaranteed big weekend, you can't bet on just one big fight. Yeah. Because you can always lose that fight. Things can always mess with your plans there. If you have Jones versus Santos, another title fight on there, and then you know two or three fights where it just seems like major action is going to go down, then yeah, I can see. You, you, you call it a weekend there. You think you're going to have some red-white fight week and uh, do a lot of pay-per-view sales. Next question this week comes to us from Devin Scott, who writes, I remember when I first really got into watching MMA and the underlying narrative at the time was all about what will it take for the sport to be considered legitimate and respected. Since then, there has been several significant events that have brought professional punchy face into the mainstream. But if you would have asked me 14 years ago what is more likely to happen, the UFC becoming a publicly traded company or the continued use of Face the Pain as intro music, I would have guessed the latter. With WME, IMG, Endeavor reportedly wanting to become a publicly traded company, how do you see this influencing the direction of the sport? Will Dana White still dispute the pay-per-view numbers out of habit and or spite, even though they would be legally obtained, uh, legally obligated to disclose the actual numbers? Uh, Please go on and share your thoughts. This is kind of interesting news that came out this past week that the UFC's parent company at WME, IMG, Endeavor is, is perhaps planning or perhaps has already filed uh, some confidential paperwork to have an initial public offering uh, later this year, I think they were saying, which is interesting for a company like the UFC, which at least historically has has guarded its financial uh, information and other, uh, let's say, proprietary blends uh, with its life, so to speak. Like There are many ongoing court cases that sort of hinge on uh, what information the UFC allows to become public and what, what it does not. So this would be interesting. I am not a business expert, obviously, since I do a podcast, which turns out ain't nobody getting rich doing a podcast. Uh, I don't know how this affects the UFC, to be honest with you. Yeah, especially because it's not like the U. It's like it's not like the UFC is becoming a publicly traded company necessarily. Its parent company uh, might be becoming a publicly traded company, so we don't know. I think for sure exactly what kind of information we'd end up getting out of that. Yeah, and I also think. Especially to Devin Scott's question about if you were asking yourself what would be more likely, I think if it were up to the UFC, then yeah, still, there'd be no way they'd want to even mess with that. But it's kind of out of your hands there if you were owned by this other much larger conglomerate of like sports and talent and fashion agencies, and they decide to make this decision, then you're just along for the ride, and you don't really have much of a choice in the matter. Uh, It is, though, like, like would Dana White, even if we imagine a scenario where... People can look through some SEC filings and figure out the UFC's pay-per-view numbers. Would Dana White still claim that they did more than what's actually on the paper? I mean, unless he got threatened by the SEC or something, unless somebody made him stop, I think force of habit alone, he's going to keep doing Dana White stuff. Yeah. Clearly, I mean, he's you see him on Twitter just arguing with goofs. <laughs> yes, like he was do. doing that this weekend, and you're like, man... Any thought that you had that a sale to a huge company was going to change the way Dana White approaches his side of the business? No, man. Yeah. He only knows one way to do this. I think you can make the case also that it is less important to guard that information as a, a like a deeply held secret now than it was maybe a few years ago. And like clearly, as we have said over and over again on this show, going back several years now, one of the reasons the UFC didn't want any of that information to become public was because they didn't want the fighters to know how much money they were making. Because then all of a sudden your 10 and 10 that you got, or even your 50 and 50 that you got to fight 
doesn't seem like that much money if you find out, oh, the UFC made $20 million on the pay-per-view you fought on and, you know, you got a hundred grand. So that, that felt like a big payday for you, but it turns out it's just a fraction of the revenue from that. I mean, See, and that's what we've been saying for a long time is when, when people would ask us, if you could ask one question and get an honest answer and we both, the question we always say we want to know is what's the split, right? How much of the revenue does the UFC keep and how much goes back out the door to the fighters? That would be something that's interesting if through SEC filings or something, and again, neither one of us knows exactly how the granular intricacies of how that might work. But if you could figure out what the actual split is through like, you know, public filings, that would be super interesting. Because would, then I think like if it turns out that the USC is paying like 17% of the revenue back out to the fighters. We'd be lucky if they were paying 17%. Well, I mean, he grumbled to himself. That I think becomes a bigger news story and maybe one that doesn't go away as easily as all the other little ways that the UFC has chipped away at fighter earnings and has screwed fighters over like over the years. I think if the, if you get an actual number that you can pin down and you can look in like financial records and be confident that is the number. And if the number really, really sucks, especially compared to the splits and other pro sports that have like athletes associations and unions, then I think that is a huge problem for you, like public relations-wise for the UFC. Yeah, I'm going to say two things, though. One, we've kicked the can so far down the road at this point on the revenue split slash when, if ever, will UFC athletes unionize that I almost feel like even if there was a concrete and knowable number, absolutely 100% showing that they are getting screwed worse than you could really possibly imagine, they still wouldn't do anything. And, you know, and, and, like, uh, even if the number was there, if, yeah. if it was like 3%. Yeah, I mean, like, because they already sort of know. Like, they already must know that they're just uh, absolutely getting worked by the company itself. And they, you know, and I'm, and they still haven't unionized, which makes it sound more negative than than I mean it. I think that, like, one of the great obstacles continues to exist that as long as they are uh, – you know, considered independent contractors, it is very hard. It's going to be very hard for them to unionize. So I think that that's one of the reasons why having that information become public seems like less of a bombshell to me now than it did a few years ago. I feel like we're so far down the road that even if that information became public, I have a hard time believing that that would be the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, would it, would it give top end fighters like your John Jones and your Conor McGregor's more, reason to try to renegotiate sure it would but the second thing i was going to say all of the like the whole game has essentially changed now that we are exclusively on espn plus and exclusively doing pay-per-views through espn plus i don't even know what leverage those fighters have at this point anymore like clearly they could withhold their services which would be kind of a big deal but i just feel like all of the negotiating tactics are now changed yeah So who knows? It would be interesting to see those numbers, though. Next question this week comes to us from Christian King. Short and to the point, will Tony ever fight Habib? We've been asking this question for a long time. You could argue it's more interesting now than it ever has been. Well, yeah, and will the MMA gods allow it? That's right. (laughs) Because they've tried several times to make this one happen. I think Dana White at one point said that he wasn't even going to try anymore because of how many times it had fallen apart through one guy's injuries or uh, dietary struggles or the other. But, I mean, to me, that is the fight. But I also think there are so many obstacles now in the way. Like, you have Khabib really wanting 
to leverage his UFC lightweight title into a big money fight. Not really the Tony Ferguson fight. His manager's out here saying Tony Ferguson absolutely definitely will not be next. You've got Tony Ferguson dealing with his own stuff. Yeah. Right now does not seem like the time that you want to book Tony Ferguson in a title fight. You think that he needs to deal with whatever's going on with him. And everybody else, like the UFC, has so much... Uh, they have so many more reasons to try to make a, like a, another rematch with, with Conor McGregor for Khabib. Something else to make a whole bunch of money off Khabib while you can. Because I think that Khabib versus Ferguson is catnip for the hardcore fan we will absolutely love it and there will be maybe 500,000 of us who will buy it yeah. and we will all love the shit out of it and yeah. we will spend weeks beforehand talking about what a great fight this is and how interesting it is and and what a perfect matchup this is but it's you're not gonna hit the millions of pay-per-view buys with that one yeah and I think maybe I'm just stating the obvious here but to me the biggest obstacle at this point seems to be Tony Ferguson kind of getting himself right and getting back to the game I feel like if both Habib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson continue to be high-level MMA fighters, you know, on into the future for the next handful of years. It's got to happen at some point, just, you know, by almost a random chance, just the two of them sort of being around long enough. Well, I would okay. think they would try to... They would, oh, you're saying if the timeline just extends long yes, enough? if they are both uh, professional cage fighters indefinitely, they will fight each other at some point. Well, the last thing they were trying to get Tony Ferguson to do was an interim title fight. It wasn't the Khabib thing, so it wasn't like it was, you know, forefront on the UFC's radar. Right, it doesn't seem like it's next. Although at this point, who knows what is next yeah. in that division. Uh in any case, that's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can check out the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And the lucky thing is, if you don't like it, it's really easy to go as for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, for two minutes and 30 seconds, Justin Gaethje and Edson Barboza gave us everything we ever could have wanted in the main event of UFC on ESPN2 live from the Wells Fargo Center over there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Justin Gaethje ultimately emerges with the KO victory over Barbosa, uh, caught him with a punch while he was already hurt and backing away, knocked the guy cold. Uh, give me your thoughts on this fight, your initial impressions. This one, it was like you ran 100 computer simulations, and maybe you picked the best one and threw it out there. Yeah. Would you say that they squeezed a lot of living into two minutes and 30 seconds? I was doing my best to not say it. But it's nonetheless true. Here's the thing I keep thinking about after that fight, and before the fight, honestly, is I was trying to think of it from Edson Barboza's perspective. You're going into a fight with Justin Gaethje, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows what Justin Gaethje wants to do and the kind of fight that he wants to get you into. And you got to be telling yourself, no, I will not do that. <laughs> I will not play his game. I am not going to stand there and just throw hammers at each other's heads because I don't need to. Like, I am a, a technically sound striker. I can do a full complement of stuff on the feet. 
I might have to worry about takedowns against somebody else with his wrestling pedigree, but Justin Gaethje hardly ever is interested in taking anybody down, so I don't even have to worry about that. I can just treat it as a kickboxing fight, and I should win a kickboxing fight against Justin Gaethje if I'm Edson Barboza. All I have to do is not get pulled into this close-range fight where we're just standing there planting our feet and throwing right hands at each other's heads and trying to see who can cling to consciousness longer. Like, that is his game, and that is the one thing I cannot do. And yet, one of the reasons Justin Gaethje is so successful is that he can make you do it. And it reminded me of, I can't remember who now, but somebody, I believe was one of the Bloody Elbow writers on Twitter who made the flowchart about fighting Justin or uh, John Lineker. And it was like, what do you do? The guy is a pressure fighter. He's coming forward. He wants to get you into this brawl. What do you do? Like, you try to jab or something and create the space? That doesn't work. He just keeps coming. You try to throw something hard, maybe, to, like, make him respect your power? Boom, now you're playing his game. That's exactly what he wants to do. And it was the same thing with Justin Gaethje. He's just going to keep coming at you. And you could see the stuff Edson Barboza thought he was going to do. Like, all right, when he tries a leg kick, I'll just come right back with a leg kick. I'm going to let him know he's not gonna, we're not going to play that bullshit. Or if we, or if we are, I'm going to win it. And I'm going to fight at this kickboxing range. And then the next thing you know, you're, you got your back up against the fence and the guy is in your face just throwing bombs. Yeah, if that was what Edson Barbosa told himself coming into this fight, he managed to live the lie for about, what, a minute and five seconds? Yeah, Because pretty that. soon they're just out there. In the parking lot behind the saloon, right. throwing punches at each other. And he landed one that kind of wobbled Justin Gaethje. And like that's also, I think, part of the thing with, with him is that he's not a super hard guy to hit. You don't have to go looking for him, you know. And you get into those exchanges, you find you get a little bit of success. You land a pretty good shot. You see him wobble a little bit. You think, I heard him. All right. Aha. Here we go. The, the finish is close at hand. I can, I can do this. But then that's how you end up playing his game. Yep. It did seem like a game of mercy there for a little while. Like, I'm, you're going to kick me? No, sir. I'm going to kick you. Yeah, yeah. Back and forth there to begin the fight. And then, as you said, a Donnybrook just broke out. Uh, Justin Gaethje poked Edson Barboza in the, in the eye right before he wins this fight. So I just want to make a note of that. <laughs> Dundasso reigns supreme is your point? FTW. Dundasso for the win. Well, and then the way he actually knocks him out is by... Catching Edson Barboza trying to get out of this game. Yeah. Like for a second. Like he, you got it. You're pressuring him against the fence. He, oh, no, you know, he thought. Yeah. <laughs> a circle away. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. what I said I would not do. Circle uh, yeah. away. Let me let me get out of here and kind of reset. And that has been in so, like if you want to pick a kind of kryptonite for Edson Barboza, for one thing. He doesn't always make the best decisions in fights. Sometimes even when he has people hurt, like his fight IQ lets them hang around longer than they ought to. And when you can get him moving backwards, he's not as dangerous. Like, he's the kind of guy where he needs to kind of set up and dig in with his offense coming forward. At you. And if you can get him, you know, moving back, moving away from you, he's not that dangerous there and he's vulnerable there. And he, you get him in that that moment where he's got his back up against the fence. He wants to get out of there and reset. But in his haste to get out of there, he's, he's not paying enough attention to the right hand that, that finds him on the way out of the exchange. Yeah, I feel like once they started trading punches, you could kind of see that this wasn't going to go the way Edson Barbosa wanted it to go. Because Gaethje kind of wobbled him during the first significant punching exchange. Like, you could see that the guy who was getting more hurt was Edson Barbosa, and that put some red flags out there for how the rest of this was going to go. He did, to his credit, kick Justin Gaethje right in his head at one point, although maybe he didn't get all of it. Maybe he didn't put all of it uh, into that shot because Justin Gaethje walked right through it. But as soon as it became like a punching brawl, 
uh, kind of kind of a fight. It looked to me like Justin Gaethje was going to win it, and then he he ultimately did win it. Uh, that boosts his UFC career uh, mark now to three and two. He's won two in a row, two knockouts, two first round knockouts. James Vick and Edson Barbosa. Now we have talked about Justin Gaethje and what kind of figure he is in the 155-pound landscape a little bit since he came to the UFC. He came into this fight officially ranked number eight at the 155-pound class. Edson Barbosa was number six. So, you know, if if all things are equal, we expect him to move up a little bit here. He's talking about the title. He says, I'm coming to get Habib Nurmagomedov. Do we think that Justin Gaethje is that kind of a guy, or are we still clinging to this idea that a little bit like the cowboy uh, Donald Cerrone, that Gaethje uh, doesn't really need the title, that he's not really in the hunt, that he's not really in the title picture, that like whoever they, as long as they give us fun matchups, Justin Gaethje is a viable dude. Yeah, this was one of the things that I found myself thinking about when I was writing about this fight afterwards, is that Justin Gaethje has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is a whole lot of fun. Yeah. And the thing that he seems to be trying to convince us of now, and that might be a harder sell on people, is that he also might be one of the best lightweights in the world. And it seems like we reached a point, especially after those two losses in a row, where people weren't really asking that question. And they were content not to ask it. It wasn't like it was a, like we're losing out on anything. Because you put him in a headliner against just about any lightweight out there. And I'll watch it because I know it's going to be a good time. I know he's going to make sure that it's a good time in part because he's going to fight like he doesn't care if he wins or loses. He's not out there trying to do whatever is necessary to make sure he wins them all. He's trying to do whatever is necessary to make sure that he gives you a hell of a good fight. So you want to see him again. Like he has, he's performed that calculus and decided that is the way to go and is open and honest about it. And it's working for him. And yet it still makes you wonder, like, are we in the the part of or the era of the UFC where they can say, you know what, Justin Gaethje versus Khabib would be fun as hell, man. We're going to go ahead and do it. We don't care if he only has two wins in a row at lightweight and there are other people who have like six or seven and who are getting passed over. This is just a good goddamn time and we're going to do it. Or is it a situation where they're saying to Justin Gaethje, you know what, we don't we don't see you that way. We you know, we see you as we want to keep you around for like ESPN cards. We want to keep you as the fun slugger. We're going to give you fun matchups, but we don't see you as championship material. That's a different kind of ball game that we're playing over there. Why don't you stay in your lane over here? Yeah, I feel like it's almost both. And I think that's a good place to be if you're Justin Gaethje, uh, because I think you will have that job as long as you want to have it. So long as you remain the guy that you are, it doesn't seem like he could be a different guy, even if he wanted to. He's Justin Gaethje. He's Justin Gaethje. He's going to keep having fun fights. So I think that he will always be there. I don't think he needs to fight for the title. But I also think that maybe Justin Gaethje's, like the distance between Justin Gaethje and a title shot is maybe shorter than the distance between some other people and a title shot. Base almost solely on the fact that people like him and he is fun to watch. And he keeps getting all this good exposure. Like clearly Justin Gaethje is a guy where they're like, okay, we can put this guy on high profile carbs and he will like give, put on a good show. People will like to watch him. So I think that that also benefits him though. I think you're right. It does feel like we are a little bit at a fork in the road for Justin Gaethje here, not necessarily forever, but like, I think that, that there's a couple of different ways you can go here. And both of them are fun fights. I think Justin Gaethje either fights 
the winner of Donald Cerrone versus Ally Aquinta, which would be, let's say, the right-hand fork in the lane where he's just going to go have fun fights against guys who may or may not be title contenders. The other fork in the road is he kind of sets up perfectly to fight the winner of Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier for the interim 155-pound title uh, also, because that would also be a hell of a fun fight. Maybe an uphill climb for Dustin or Justin Gaethje to win that fight, but like... If Justin Gaethje is continuing to move forward and have fun fights, I think that those are viable options for him. Although, you know, depending on which way he goes, would kind of push his career in one different direction or another. Yeah, I mean, you're acting like the the Khabib thing is not even an option. Well, Khabib's got he's got stuff to sort out, does he not? Like, well, he's suspended for now, right? He, he he'll be he will be off suspension soon. But like, it it I mean. Do you think Justin Gaethje is a is an opponent that Habib Nurmagomedov would be like, yes, yes, serve him up for me? It seems like Habib wants a bigger fish at this point. The only bigger fish, or the only big fish, is Conor McGregor. And as I think we will discuss later, he's got some stuff going on. Yes. So it's not like that one is imminent. I, I mean, I'd... Maybe. Because don't you feel like Habib also thinks he probably beats Justin Gaethje? Like, yeah. pretty easily? I don't know. I mean... If I'm Habib Nurmagomedov, I probably feel that way. Yeah. So, like, maybe he is a Derek Lewis-style title contender for the champion, where Habib would just be like, you know, send me location, and I will show up and beat that guy up. Maybe. I also, though, when I hear, like, Justin Gaethje, like, his response when, you know, they started talking about uh, Paul Felder. Like, yes. Paul Felder and Karen Bryan are sitting there the at the controversy. desk with him. And, and Paul Felder, you know, he had said, like, I want the winner of Justin Gaethje and Barboza. And he seemed to have implied that he thought Gaethje was going to be the winner there and that he wanted to fight Gaethje. And that, stylistically, that that is fun as hell, too. Yes, and that's another good one. And yet, I can understand how Justin Gaethje, when, you know, if you if you got your eyes on the title, you just knocked out Edson Barboza, and Paul Felder is sitting there going, like, hey, man, me and you next, how about that? Wouldn't that be fun? And you're going, hey, wait a minute. Like, I'm not trying to just have fun here. Like, I'm trying to have fun in an upward trajectory. Like, and he's very conscious of his ranking very like clearly he keeps mentioning that, like how he does not happy with how the rankings are working and, and he doesn't feel like he's being moved up accordingly to his wins. And I can see how he would push back against that and go like, I'm not just out here killing time and, you know, just throwing haymakers at each other and, and, and collecting a paycheck and going home and waiting to do it all again. Like I'm trying to have some sort of plan that is a forward progression like that gets me into bigger, bigger things. I mean, I'm still going to fight like a fucking human tornado, yeah. but I want that to be going somewhere. And that I think is the, the contradiction and like the dilemma for Justin Gaethje is because it's like, he wants to be the guy who is a guaranteed fun fight, win or lose. And, but yet also wants to keep climbing up the rankings and wants to get a title shot and make that big time money. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's how you change your life. If you're an MMA fighter, like he right. still wants to do those things. And it's the same thing that UFC has gone back and forth with, with on Donald Cerrone, where you're like, Hey, if you're not happy with your money, you got to win them all. Hey, but the reason everybody loves this guy is because he fights like he's not that worried about winning them all. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. And clearly Justin Gaethje, aside from being super self-aware about, the kind of figure that he is in the sport. He seems super self-aware of, of uh, what the consequences of that are going to be. So if you told me that his plan is to go get, get that money, like fight in a big, big time title fight, maybe become the champion and uh, you know, earn the big bucks for a little while before he gets out, that would fit perfectly into the, into the kind of guy that we think he is. Uh, it does seem though, like this win over Edson Barbosa 
puts him at a fork in the road. And so I think it'll be interesting to see not only how quick a turnaround he makes, because I think the UFC would probably like to get him back out there as soon as it can, but what kind of fight he gets next, because I think that it will tell us a lot about where Justin Gaethje is headed. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will get out of this round and on to the second round, Ben. You're Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Is it Justin Gaethje related? Justin Gaethje adjacent? No, No, it is not. That's just saying stuff. Yes. Okay. Well, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Uh, So Josh Emmett. Yeah. He goes out there. He's fighting Michael Johnson's first fight in a year. You know, he's had some health struggles, got his whole shit broke. His whole shit was broke for a while. Sounds harrowing, frankly. Dealing with some, like, residual issues from that. He gets back in there after a year away, you know, maybe looking like he might lose a decision against Michael Johnson. Uh, Then they're in there. They're in the final minute of the third round, and bam, one right hand. All types of shit flying off of Michael Johnson's Looked face. Looked like a Rocky movie. Yeah. Slow motion spit flying through the air. Knocks him out with that one punch. But he wasn't surprised, Chad. You know why? Because he had foreseen it in discussions with his mind coach. His who now? His mind. His what? Mind. Mind coach. Coach. Is that anything like a mind hunter? The Netflix it show? It could be. They, they could be similar. Is that like a life coach? Chad, it's a mind coach. Is I don't like know if you're sound listening. sound clown? For your mind. Mind coach. A coach for your mind. Interesting. Are you fucking kidding me? All this time, that's a job? (laughs) I feel... Somebody should have told me. For one thing, obviously I need a mind coach. Like, obviously. For another thing, though, maybe I could be the mind coach, Chad. Who's to say? Like, mind coach doesn't even imply any sort of degree in, like, psychology or anything. Like, it's just, we're going to talk about your mind, man. I can do that job, Chad. No, if you are a mind coach, you definitely flunked out of somewhere. <laughs> no one starts me? out their their journey in life being like, mind coach, that's where I'm headed. Mind coach. Fucking, kidding, fucking me. kidding me. Well, Ben, you shouted out Josh Emmett. I'm going to shout out Jack Hermanson. Okay. Or Hermanson. Hermanson? However you want to say it, for his win over David the Executive Branch in the co-main event of this same fight card. First of all, are you fucking kidding me to his weirdo entry into that arm in guillotine that he did where, I mean, you could see the look on David Branch's face as soon as he tapped out where he was like, ah, shit. Like, where did that come from? What the hell, man? Just like the rest, everybody who was watching at home was like, what the hell? Except Dom Cruz, who obviously has done his homework and is like, this is one of his, as he is doing it, Dominic Cruz is like, this is one of his setups for his, for his guillotine choke. And then he nailed it, got it on the executive branch. It's crazy to me that I've been watching this sport for so long and I'm still seeing shit I've never seen before. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Jack Hermanson. 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 What's his nickname? The Joker? The Joker. That ain't bad. It's not terrible. I feel like he could do better. I feel like if your name is Jack Hermanson slash Hermanson, you almost need a rhyming nickname. Jack the Joker? Jack the Joker is not bad. What about if he starts like doing the hand buzzer on people or something, like asking you to smell a flower on his lapel? So like an actual yep. literal joker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or like he tells actual jokes. It's a little on the nose for me. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> knock, knock. That's going to do it for round you number say who's one. There. <laughs> who's there? Lettuce. <sighs> Lettuce who? Lettuce in. It's cold out here. Knock, knock. Who's there? Police. Police who? Police let us in. It's cold out here. <laughs> That's going to do it for round number one. We shouldn't be giving these away. Though. We'll be right back with round number two.
Jed, while you might have been sleeping, big weekend over there in Japan. Oh, the promotion, who you keep referring to as 1FC, who I've also seen referred to as 1 Championship, or sometimes just as 1, the number spelled out in all caps, which... That, that'll really mess with you when you're trying to write up a story for your, your MMA website. I guess first things first, we got to figure out what they're called. Yeah. We got to figure out what this organization is called so we can tell all of our friends about it. <laughs> yes, we do need that. If we're going to, if you want us to tell all our friends, we need to decide on what you're called and it should hopefully be a little easier. Like you tell me, I'm supposed to tell my friends, hey, are you watching the one card this weekend? We're going to get into a damn Abbott and Costello routine really quick with that. Uh, yeah. You, <laughs> are you watching the one card on DAZN? Which card? Bellator Live or BR Live? One FC? Report Live. What? Uh, anyway, they have, they kind of roll out all their, their big guns for this one. Yes. They get, you got... Shunya Aoki winning himself a belt, putting Mickey Fickies to sleep out here. <laughs> you know I like that. Uh, you also got uh, Demetrius Johnson making his debut. Yeah. Uh, gets a, a submission, a second round submission victory. You also, however, you got Eddie Alvarez out here in, see, this is the beginning of both the Lightweight World Grand Prix and the Flyweight World Grand Prix. They're in the, the first round here. Eddie Alvarez goes out there against a guy who he was a heavy, heavy favorite to beat. Uh, Timofey, which there's a, a, a fun name to say to, for everybody to think that you have a lisp. Uh, Timofey Natsuyukin na- nailed it. And he gets beat. First round TKO loss for Eddie Alvarez. So you get a little bit of like, all right, the, the big names are going to win, but not all the big names. And maybe it, it's not such a bad thing if you're one whatever your no. name is. Because then it suggests like, all right, you still got some of the guys hanging around and are, are going to be in, in big fights going forward. But you also suggest like, hey, there. this is not just a bunch of can crushing going on over here. Yeah. If anything, even though Demetrius Johnson obviously won, Eddie Alvarez obviously lost. Like I felt like Gary watching. Gary Tonin won. Yeah. Watching some some fights on this uh, one slash one FC slash one championship card was almost like a uh, a showcase for for the talent that I wasn't necessarily all that familiar with because uh, Yua Wakamatsu against Demetrius Johnson clearly put up a spirited defense uh, before he ultimately lost via like nasty guillotine choke in the second round. But like I came away wanting to see more of that dude because like he was kind of giving Demetrius Johnson all he could handle through that first round, which I sort of understand is the deal about. Uh, Yuya Wakamatsu, that maybe he comes out like a house of fire and then doesn't always finish the damn thing. Uh, and yeah, as you said, Timofey Nastyukin. Nailed it. Or as I like to call him, Tim Nasty. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's just fun. He just, he TKOs Eddie Alvarez. Man, this, was this to you? Did this look to you like one of those things since Eddie Alvarez is 35 years old? Or like maybe he shows up and you're like, oh, this guy's, he's 35. You I don't know, want to say he got old in one night, but like Eddie I Alvarez is clearly 35 years old. We there. made, uh, we, we discussed this in one of our staff columns uh, for MMA Junkie today. And my take on that was careful writing Eddie Alvarez off. That's true. We have done it in the past. Yes, we've done it in the past and end up eating our words. Yes. Like he can bounce back a little bit. But I mean, yeah, eventually you're going to show up and you're going to be too old for it. I don't know. I didn't really necessarily see that like physically. He looked off or anything. It did, though, seem like... It made me wonder what Eddie Alvarez was telling himself was going to happen in that fight. Because it seemed like you were waiting for Eddie Alvarez to get going on some of his own offense. And it never really happened. And you were like, 
what was the plan here? Because it seemed like you're just kind of letting that guy lead the dance, and the next thing you know, you're getting hit upside the head and you're hurt. And I, I it made me wonder, like, what Eddie Alvarez had planned to do in that fight. Was he just thinking, like, all right, we'll feel this guy out in the first round, and then in the second round we'll get busy, and then you, next thing you know, you, you don't make it out of the first round. I, I don't know. Because it, it didn't look to me, he didn't look awful or anything. But it's like, all right, that guy clearly is going to come leaping forward at you with some strikes looking to hurt you with each one. And he didn't seem to really have an answer for that. Yeah. I tell you what, I'm going to show my cultural bias here. But when I find out you're fighting a hard hitting 25 year old Russian, I'm like, be careful. (laughs) Be careful. Be careful of Tim nasty. I don't know if this is a baby Fedor situation or a Tim nasty situation could go either way. I mean, if you tell me I'm fighting a guy named Tim Nasty, I'm going to be careful. Yeah, I better just, watch some film on Tim with. Nasty. Yeah. Don't go out there without watching any film. Okay, here's the thing about one. I can see now on Wikipedia, it's called One Championship okay. these days. What? But even that is like, hey, are you watching One Championship? What? Which one? Which championship? One. You know, One Championship. Can't you hear that I'm saying? Do I have to say it like I'm saying it in all caps? One championship. I mean, if we know anything about me, it's that I'm just going to keep calling it 1FC because I'm not going to be able to retrain my brain to call it anything else. Here's the thing about 1FC. Big influx of cash here recently, $266 or whatever from investments. Just signed some American stars trying to introduce its product to the West, I guess you could say. It's on uh, Bleacher Report Live, which apparently is a thing. That's a thing, huh? You used to work for Bleach Report. You should know about this kind they of stuff. They phased it. I think they laid me off so they could start it. They okay. phased me out while pivoting they were phasing the this. Yeah. Piv- they, pivoting to streaming? Everybody pivoted to streaming. This is like, there's reason if you are looking for it to be somewhat bullish about one championship, despite the fact that we don't know what its name is. Like, good production. You know, you got you got Chiavello on there, which I don't love. Not my cup of tea, but other people like him. Thought Josh Thompson was pretty good as yeah. a color commentator. Like, good production, slick, free to stream, some people you've heard of. Uh, 5.30 a.m. Eastern. uh, Hella international talent out here, as we saw on this card. A lot of people maybe you haven't even heard of, but they're, uh, you know, they're good fighters, clearly. Time slot may be a problem, as you mentioned. At the same time, like, now that everybody is just on streaming. And I agree that it helps the UFC to be hooked up with ESPN and to have ESPN+. Plus behind it and and linked with the UFC brand is is a mighty partnership for, to be sure. But if we're all just streaming, does that make us feel a little bit like everybody's on more of a level playing field here? And like if 1FC offers a perfectly passable product for free, that there is reason to believe like, hey, you know, maybe people could be enticed into paying attention to this? Yeah, maybe. I mean, the way that I ended up watching this was videos posted to Twitter. Like that well, was nobody got up to watch it at 5 a.m. Eastern. Okay, so except that, for people on Twitter, probably yeah, were watching somebody it. Somebody got to watch it to like tell me what happened, and you know, people who whose the job people who is, make those videos on Twitter watched it. Well, I guess I wonder where you're making your money. I mean, one FC championship is making inroads into a lot of Asian markets, and like there are openings there because. You know, the UFC is going to try to go to places in, you know, like China or, or Japan maybe like once a year, once or twice a year. Try to open like some training facility in China to try to get people into the sport more so that you have a future there. But one FC is out there on the ground yeah. and has been for a while. And so is going to be able to like just cater to that market on a more regular basis. And there are, there are some like 
ways to get in there. Like, there's no dominant Japanese promoter anymore. You know, Ryzen does a few shows a year, but it's not like there's a ton, it's not like there's pride around anymore. So you can tell yourself maybe you could foster a little bit of a revival over there. And yet, you're getting these American stars, and people in America are there, well, you know, we'll watch it. The hardcores will watch you. Some people might even get up to watch it on streaming. Some people are going to watch it just by, you know, the videos are on YouTube or on Twitter or whatever. But is that kind of the ceiling? Because it's, I don't know, you're not going to get me to pay for anything at 5.30 a.m. Eastern time uh, on a Bleacher Report stream from, yeah. you know, uh, like the semifinals of this tournament or anything. Like, you were already conditioning to believe, like, this is content that I watch on Twitter. I'll catch the highlights at my leisure when I wake up with a cup of coffee. Yeah, I don't know if it's it's, it's a bad place to start, though, if you're one championship. Because clearly, like, it hasn't paid a lot of attention to the American market thus far. But now that it has Demetrius Johnson and Eddie Alvarez and Sage Northcutt, uh, and it, you know this deal with BR Live, like clearly, I think that they're they're starting to shift a little bit toward this market. Uh, and frankly, I think it was okay that there was a uh, big time MMA promotion that wasn't necessarily for the American market before this. Like, it's doing its thing, and that's fine. But I feel like if it wants to position a little bit more facing the American market, which seems like what's going on here. Man, if you give me a fight card with Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Johnson and maybe Sage Northcutt and some of the other people that that I'm getting to know through watching One FC largely on on Twitter, and you put it on at a reasonable time in America and it's free on streaming, I think MMA fans would watch that. And I, you know, I don't. It's not a situation where one championship is going to suddenly leapfrog the UFC or anything like that. But as long as it's financially stable, which is always obviously the big time question for any of these. Uh, contender you uh, MMA promotions. It doesn't, it doesn't seem bad to me. It seems like you're in a nice spot. Uh, our, our friend of the podcast, Colleen, has pointed out to us on Twitter uh, the Twitter handle of one this the the fight promotion regarded sometimes as one or the one fight promotion previously known as one FC at one championship. However, the website that they link to from their Twitter page. 1FC.com. God damn it. Come on. What are we doing? But uh, the other thing I wanted to ask about before we finish this discussion, what do you make of 1FC Championships attempt to yes, brand... Let's call it 1FC Championships. <laughs> Shortest distance between yeah, two points. There we go. Uh, what do you make of the attempt to brand itself as... Like an alternative to the pro wrestling style theatrics going on in the UFC. Like as the UFC tilts more in that direction, you'll tilt more into like, hey, we are about honor and respect and the martial arts and like the traditional warrior way kind of stuff. And like, we are the opposite of that. Like the UFC is getting more in that direction. So we'll go hard in the other direction. Do you think that that's going to work? Do you think anybody gives a shit enough to to get excited about that? I think that... There are a lot of hardcore MMA fans, myself included, that that appreciate that. And I also think that it is never really sold that well. Like, clearly at this point, we know what people like, we know what they will buy, and it is a little bit more on the theatrical side. I'm totally fine with, you know, fighting for fighting's sake. At the same time, don't you feel like it would be maybe a little bit smarter for 1FC to sort of try to position itself as kind of a pride-type deal? Like, I feel like we would be, people would be hype if that's what they thought it was. Some people. Some people. Well, maybe that's also, because I remember doing a story on 1FC back when it was 1FC and talking to them about how 
basically they were like, we face different challenges because of the different markets that we go into. And especially then where it was, I think at that time, Tokyo was more of an eventual destination they were hoping to get to, but it wasn't necessarily like one that was part of their regular schedule at the time. And they were like, we go to like, we're in the Philippines, we're in Indonesia, we're in stuff like that. And like, sometimes we're going to, uh, countries where there is more of a some strict codes going on because they're like might be muslim majority countries and like sure. how do you have a women's fight in a muslim majority country like how do they have to uh, attire themselves like these are the kind of challenges that we're dealing with because of the different markets that we go into and so like basically we're playing a different ball game than just how mma fans think of in north america yeah solid point and and like i said i think one FC Championship is not in a terrible spot at the moment. Uh, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, the last time listeners of the co-main event podcast proper heard from us was a week ago monday where we were bidding a fond farewell for the week because we were both about to head out of town with our families on separate spring break trips didn't think we would be back for seven days why would we what could possibly drive us back less than two days later we had to put out a special retort for our Patreons over at Patreon.com because a couple of different things happened with your boy, Conor McGregor. First of all, out of the blue, and for the second time, he announced his abrupt retirement from MMA with a Twitter post that started, Hey, quick announcement. Yeah, that's how you do that. I think about 24 hours later, we learned uh, with, from a, a report published in the New York Times that basically that... Newspaper had confirmed that Conor McGregor is also under investigation for sexual assault in Ireland, which is obviously terrible news for everyone involved. Uh, And frankly, news that had been kind of percolating in the rumor mills in MMA for a while. I believe there was a a thread on SureDog.com with the the details, a short-lived thread, but the stuff was out there, just kind of floating underneath the surface. New York Times comes in and and, uh, is able to put some confirmation on it. Now... In the special retort that we recorded on Tuesday, we guessed, prophesized, hazarded a a wager that the two things were connected. Right. That Conor McGregor didn't just jump on Twitter and announce his retirement willy-nilly. Perhaps there were a confluence of factors there. Perhaps he was trying to uh, get back into this negotiating situation with the UFC where it seems like Conor McGregor and the UFC are constantly going through this cycle where everything's great, he has a big fight, he disappears for a while, suddenly we're back into like a terse and tense contract negotiation. So maybe he's trying to hold out a little bit. Maybe he also thought, since he knew that this New York Times report was coming down the pipe, that maybe he would go a little low profile for a while. We don't know, frankly. But here we are. Conor McGregor again has announced his retirement from MMA. Conor McGregor reportedly under investigation uh, for sexual assault. And from there, things just got weirder. Yeah. He's out here on Twitter calling out Mark Wahlberg mm. and Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie too? Didn't he say he was going to slap his brother or something? I don't know what happened. Called him an actress. So yay for super gender specific quote unquote <laughs> insults in the MMA world. Just continuing to roll on and on. 
Uh, he's getting, he's beefing with Khabib still on social media. He's congratulating Justin Gaethje just aggressively online. Conor McGregor, online. while announcing his retirement, and though his own future seems super murky, just aggressively online these days. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. Hashtag keyboard warrior. Does that seem like a guy who is retired? Who knows with this guy, man? It's He's just, I don't even know what to think anymore. I don't think he's retired, retired. But I also think like that, that, that Conor McGregor's current social media use is not a great look. No, it is not a great look. Here's my question. If you're the UFC, do you feel like you can book Conor McGregor in a fight right now? Like if you were, let's say you you talked to him and he was like, okay, I, he puts forth an idea you like, or Khabib is like, hey, let's do this this rematch, and I because I want to make a bunch of money and I can't sell the pay per views on my own. Let's let's do that. Like you, they somebody comes to you with a Conor McGregor idea that seems like it is going to be profitable. With everything that's going on with him right now, now that it's definitely in the news that he is being investigated for sexual assault, while that is still hanging over his head, can you book him to fight in the UFC? I mean, I don't think so, right? If for nothing else, just the the like unstable nature of his freedom. And if you've seen the uh, the alleged details of the sexual assault that he's being investigated for, it's pretty ugly. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that makes me feel like if you believe it, that you can continue to think that Conor McGregor is a, is a good dude or like someone that you want to support with your money or your time. And if you're the UFC, like I said on Tuesday, I think you're probably just content to let this guy twist for a little while. Like you just changed uh, a lot of the organization of how the finances of your business work in a way that would seem to undercut a lot of Conor McGregor's previous negotiating power. He's got this criminal investigation hanging over his head. He just announced his retirement. I think if you're the UFC, like not only do you want to see how the legal issues play out before you can book him again, but I think you also maybe call his bluff a little bit in terms of, of any kind of financial negotiation that's going on. You basically tell the guy, look, man, like you're not as important to our well-being as you were a year ago or even four weeks ago. Like we're, with the UFC will be okay without Conor McGregor. Where will Conor McGregor be without the UFC? So like – just because of the changing nature of all that, I think if you're the UFC, you are content to slow play this a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also, if you did book him, you know if you're Dana White, you're going to stand up there having to say, hey, he hasn't even been charged yet over and over again. Like you're basically gonna, like that same thing that Dancy has to do with Greg Hardy. Like, hey, the conviction didn't even stand. So I don't know what you guys keep asking about. Like you're going to have to do that over and over again with Conor McGregor and talk about not a good look. Yeah, that's definitely not a good look. And yet, at the same time, the UFC was trying to book him like they were trying to book this co-main event thing with Donald Cerrone. Like that was apparently the sticking point. The sticking point was bout order and what that meant for people's finances, not, hey, you're under investigation for sexual assault in Ireland, which you would have to think the UFC UFC heard the same rumors everybody else did and was probably in a better position to confirm them. So it didn't seem to bother the UFC then, is it just the fact that it is public knowledge and that, as you said, because of some of the restructuring of your deals, you don't need to live and die on pay-per-view sales anymore? Yeah. Well, look, clearly we know the people who run the UFC have different sensibilities than you or I. They, going back years, have made business decisions that uh, I thought were kind of morally indefensible. And Greg Hardy is is maybe one of them. I just think with Conor McGregor right now, man, you got to... You got to put him in timeout a little bit on all this stuff. Like, just just 
don't include him in any of your plans while you wait to see how the, the criminal investigation turns out. And frankly, like just considering all the stuff that's going on on social media that we've seen, like, like I said, I don't think that that is a good look for Conor McGregor. I feel like if you're the UFC right now, if you have a contentious relationship with Conor McGregor, maybe you don't feel all that bad about where you are right now. Like this dude is, is under investigation. He announces retirement. He, in my opinion, is just kind of looking silly on social media. If you're the UFC, Maybe you're okay with that for a while. I don't know. Like, if you are still trying to cultivate Conor McGregor as like a worldwide phenomenon, maybe you have some worries. But like, if you are at odds with Conor McGregor, I just kind of let him sit for a while, man. Area dad Chad Dennis thinks you look silly with all this social media. <laughs> well, that's very on brand for me. Isn't that it? is that is pretty on brand for you. I think the question for me is when and how Conor McGregor is going to kind of address this stuff. Because he seems content to just ignore it for the most part. I don't think he will unless he has to, right? I think he, but I think he'll, he will have to one way or another. Like You keep saying that, and then guys keep coming to interviews saying, I will address that at a, at a later date. <laughs> this, though, like, imagine that this just kind of goes away. Like, he's in, it, it, supposedly the, the incident has been under investigation since December. Is that what the New York Times said? Yeah, he presented himself for questioning slash was arrested, perhaps, uh, in January. Okay. Clearly, things are different in Ireland, different laws, different procedures. Right. But here we are in April, and he's not been officially charged yet. If he, he just kind of like, you know, an investigation that goes a few months and then just kind of peters out, and they're like, yeah, we don't feel like we have enough to charge the guy. I don't think that he can just kind of show up and be like, aha, I'm back, everybody. What's up? And people are going to be like, okay, I guess we'll just forget about it. Like, people are going to ask about it, and you're going to have to say something about it. Even if that something is like, hey, it was all bullshit, obviously, because look, I didn't even get charged. Like, you you have to say something. And it's it's weird, too, because you're sitting there, I'm watching the UFC on ESPN, and it's only the second event that actually airs, like, on ESPN proper, and throughout the entire thing, I'm seeing Conor McGregor ads. Conor McGregor selling me whiskey over and over and over again. Hashtag full-time whiskey salesman. And it's like, for, uh, you know... Joe Q sports fan who you're trying to rope in with some of the CSPN stuff. Isn't he going, I just heard about this guy in the news. It was about a sexual assault allegation. Now here he is on every commercial break with a bunch of stilted lines, trying to sell me this terrible whiskey. Like that, that too is not a great look. And yet the UFC seems totally fine with that. No, I agree. And look again, I don't know how the justice system works in Ireland. So I don't know that if, if, at some point, there will be a hard and fast statement, either this investigation is over and we will not charge Conor McGregor, or we are going to charge Conor McGregor and then there will have to be a trial of sorts. I can guarantee you that if Conor McGregor is not charged and this investigation reaches uh, some kind of end point, that he will, in fact, come back, categorically deny it a time or two, and then refuse to answer questions about it moving forward and will carry on his merry way. And whether or not that affects the way fans view him or not, I don't know. If he does get charged, then obviously we're dealing with a very different scenario. But just like I have watched this sport play out for a long time. And if he does not get charged, I guarantee you that the UFC and Conor McGregor will move forward as though we're good. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying whenever Conor McGregor in the past has had to deal with some kind of like, controversial thing he did or said sometimes he kind of makes it worse like he's just 
virtues of his faults. He is just flagrantly out there yelling and saying stuff. And I could see his response to this one. If he does not, you know, maybe rehearse it with some people and let's talk about what we're going to say. You don't want to take this one off the cuff, man. You don't want to just be out there just saying stuff. Well, and I think his response will, will perhaps be telling. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Anyway, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, this week I'm just saying, wait, Brandon Vera is the one FC championship heavyweight champion? What? What? Did you know Are this? You sure? Brandon Vera oh, is the heavyweight up. champion over in one FC championship. You want to you know something that's going to make you feel old? Okay. Brandon Vera is 41 years old. Oh, don't you remember when Brandon Vera was a young, up-and-coming whippersnapper? He was a hot young thing. Talking about how he's going to be a two-division champ. He's going to be the champ champ before we knew what the champ champ was. Now he's 41 years old, and apparently, allegedly, according to the broadcast, he's the damn one FC championship heavyweight champion. Not only is he the champion, Chad, according to Wikipedia, he's been the champion for a little over three years now. Yeah, he's in like 4-0 or 5-0 and in that promotion. He's defended the championship twice. He's 4-0. and Hasn't lost since uh, his loss that he exited the UFC on, a TKO loss to Ben Rothwell at UFC 164 in 2013. I guess I'm just saying, huh, I'll be damned. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew indeed? There was no way to know this information. There you go. Now. One FC championship heavyweight champion. Just saying. Brandon Vera. I'm just saying, we talked a little bit before about this, like, you know, kind of blown up controversy. I'm putting that in air quotes about the, the interview that Justin Gaethje did afterwards sitting there at the desk with uh, Karen Bryant and, uh, and Paul Felder. Yeah. And people got on Karen Bryant and Paul Felder where Paul Felder, I thought Paul Felder handled it pretty well. He was just like, Hey, I said, I wanted to fight the guy and his remarks afterwards. He, he, he talked to uh, Stephen Rocco from MMA junkie and was like, Hey, I said I wanted to fight the guy after my win, and I've said it on social media. When I've got the guy in front of me, it would be kind of cowardly of me not to say it to his face there. And I did it respectfully. I wasn't like, hey, fuck you. I want to beat your face in. I was like, I think me and you would be a good fight. And sooner or later, I think we're going to do that. And, uh, you know, I think Paul Felder made a bunch of good points. However, when people were getting on their case about it, Karen Bryan's reaction, uh, she replied, uh, my favorite part is how people don't think we have executive producers who lead the show and tell us what to talk about slash ask. I just freestyle whatever I want on these shows. Hashtag think about it, folks. I'm just saying you want to be careful with that argument if you're a broadcaster because what you're kind of telling us is like, hey, I don't decide what to say on these shows. Somebody else tells me and then I am the vessel through which those words come out, which is maybe a door you don't want to open yeah. as a broadcast. I mean, she's not the only one who's done it. Joe Rogan's done it before times. Other, uh, you know, kind of in-cage and on-camera talent has done it before. But it's a whole can of worms that you're accidentally opening there because then if you're telling us, hey, these aren't my thoughts or my questions. These are somebody else. It's the man behind the curtain who's telling me, how are we supposed to know when what we're hearing is your genuine opinion or your genuine question and when it's somebody else feeding you these this line? Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Watch yourself there. Yeah, Paul Felder actually, I think, handled it a little bit better just because he said that it was his idea to ask or to present Justin Gaethje with with a, this challenge to fight and that he asked an ESPN executive producer if that was okay. And clearly the TV producer is like, yes, absolutely ask this other guy to fight you. Uh, you know, money is flying out of my ears right now as you <laughs> present this to me. Like, that's a whole different scenario than – a television producer being like, Psst, 
us to fight this guy. Yeah. Paul Felder. Yeah. You should challenge Justin Gaethje to a fight. <laughs> it's just like those are two diff- very different things. So uh, the scenario that Paul Felder pre- presents, I think, is 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 the better one. But you're right about you don't want to – if you're Karen Bryant, you don't want to be like, ah, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I'm just told to say these things by a television a person. Voice, a voice in my ear says it and then it comes out of my mouth. Whatever be, it is, I be, just say it. Be careful there. Just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week. I believe we got a week off here, right, with no UFC event? That's right. And then uh, we'll be getting into UFC 236. Is that correct? Sure. April 13th, yeah. I believe that goes down. We got our live chat on Wednesday. Wednesday, Patreon live chat, followed by a that's new episode a, of Road Agents. That live chat is at 11.30 a.m. in the One True Time Zone. That's 10.30 a.m. Pacific. And then we'll be back Friday for uh co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Anybody vomit on No, we got no vomiting, although okay. uh, we had one kid pee your pants. Okay. Another kid poop his pants. Oh. Fluid. As a parent, that's half your job. Yeah. You're just out here basically wading hip deep through other humans' various It's not blood, poop, pee, 